Welcome into Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday night as I'm recording this with a very special guest making his Pickaxe and Roll debut. Very excited to talk with him. Went on his program uh, with on the Denver Nuggets YouTube side. As he is swipe a cam, Cameron friend. Cameron, how are you, my friend? No, I'm living, man. It's been a been a great, great day, and I'm excited to get a chance to talk to you about some Nuggets basketball. So I always look forward to our conversations. It's been like like we we've been connected for a little bit here, and, and we started getting connected during the pandemic, I think. Uh, just, and you've just been so easy to relate to, so easy to talk to, and, and just a very positive, like really like great energy personality that has really popped up in this nugget sphere over the course of these past couple of years, man. And I just wanted to kind of pick your, pick your brain to start a little bit uh, just about your journey, just kind of getting to nuggets fandom, just kind of getting into YouTube and things like that. So first I guess I'll just ask like, Hey, how did you become a nuggets fan? What was that like? And, and who were the first players that you start like standing for back in the day? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, you know, if you heard my story at all, I'm back in the days where Dare was coming to the public schools in Denver, Colorado, handing out free Nuggets tickets because they couldn't get nobody to go to the game. And so, you know, I'll go back to the Robert Pack, Nick Van Exo, Antonio McDice days, Greg LaFence. I remember when uh, we drafted fifth overall, Nicholas Tedeschivi, and I, I could not believe it. I, I was out uh, beside myself. Uh, so I was growing up, I grew up in, the, in Park Hill, Colorado. I was a huge, huge Carmelo Anthony fan. Uh, I know that, like a lot of y'all, we did not have a lot to celebrate with the Nuggets. You know, I was mad when we traded Antonio McDyess. So here we were. He was our Olympian. And then we traded him for, for nothing. And then so we were in this real dead period. And then Carmelo stepped up on the game. And we went from 17 wins to 40-plus wins that next year with the Kenyon Martin era and Eventually, we walked up into Chauncey Billis and Allen Iverson and all these folks. So uh, like many of you all, I had a deep love in 2000 for the Denver Nuggets that kind of revolutionized my uh, Nuggets spirit. Uh, then eventually, Anthony Carter's let those dreams die with two inbound passes in the Western oh. Conference Finals. <laughs> but it's, it's been a long time coming for me. That's funny because like that that's really when I started. That's that's when I that's when I got it. So I'm 24. I'm going to turn 25 in December. And it is like, I'm, I'm one of the new age Nuggets fans, I guess you could say is like, hey, this is the, the culture that really grew up on Nikola Jokic. And, and I was a fan before, but you, you start to become less of like, I, I think the 57 win Nuggets in 2013 were, were probably the team that I latched onto the most, uh, at least at the initial stages, but then you start to suck for a while and you've got, you're trying to center things around Yusuf Nurkic and Emmanuel Moutier and it just wasn't going well for Aaron Aflalo came back and that didn't work out at all. So there's just a lot to, to not really like for it. And, and Nikola Jokic comes to the town and just, he sort of revitalizes the entire Nuggets scene, the entire Nuggets culture. And uh, Michael Malone came with them and Jamal Murray came with them after a year, but it really did start, I think with Nikola Jokic and how he, how he just brought energy back into the building every single day with just being competent. And that's all it was. Like he was just very good at everything. And I, I that's, that's how I, that's how I really kind of latched onto it in my, my own personal side. But speaking of new age, like you're a YouTuber, like, like YouTube and getting into that aspect of covering a team and, and being in that side of the, being on that side of the realm versus in the print media versus in the, podcasting versus in cover, like on a website or things like that. What are some of the, the things that you like about being a YouTuber and, and like covering the nuggets from a YouTube perspective? And how did you get into YouTube to start? Yeah. So one thing about YouTube is that it gives you a very unique opportunity to tell the story in the way that is most meaningful to you. Right. And so yeah. you know, I've been a Nuggets fan for a very long time. And uh, Ryan, you know, you, you've heard about me for a while now. You've seen some of the things I've tweeted, you know, things I talk about. And uh, oh, yeah. and to be completely transparent, one of the things that I, I noticed was we did not have a, a lot of people of color, black people at all that was covering sports. And so I was kind of like, you know, here I am. I got this love for basketball. I got this love for football, but I played the game my whole life. You know, there might be a lane that I have 
uh, maybe to offer a different kind of insight. And on top of that, you know, I, I do a lot of content, you know, whether it be writing or talking professionally anyway. So there just came to be a really natural unison that, that came in the process. So really, uh, the pandemic happened. We uh, December of 2020, I want to say December 23rd was the first video, not even a year ago. Uh, and Man. then we just took off from there. And there was just such a such a need from Nuggets fans to have somebody that was as proud of Yoke as they were, as hopeful about Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. as they were, and maybe had a, a little bit more of a realistic approach to the game, and uh, but also was going to be able to celebrate and talk about some of the, the downfall, but understand the journey we've been on, right? I mean, uh, we've been through a lot in Denver. We've seen a lot. And so for us to be where we are right now, everybody has representation. But the thing about YouTube, YouTube gives you a unique opportunity to control your own content and to control the way that you want to tell that story. So all of it kind of came together very easily. And so it's been crazy. I mean, we are in the 99th percentile and growth on both YouTube and on Twitter, you know, as a community. And I think that just goes to show that people were just looking for something uh, and they're buying into an idea. And I think they're buying into a culture too, one that celebrates each other and wants to celebrate basketball at an international scale, um, but also just to celebrate the Denver Nuggets as well. That's nuts, man. That's, and it's been a meteoric rise, like you said, and it's been awesome. It's been, it's been great to see uh, just the energy that you put into it. And I think fans really latch on to the way that you cover things because you, you have that firm understanding of the game, but you could speak about it as passionately as you po as possibly can because you love the game. And because like that's so much of that has been lost. Like I, I won't say lost, but like it's, it's misplaced. It's misrepresented at times. And, and like, cause I love the game. I love it in my own different way. I could get a little bit, criticize like I can criticize people a little bit and maybe not appreciate the the beauty of a shot at times of uh, the 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 way that somebody approaches things but you like you bring that new aspect to it you bring that absolutely fantastic energy and one question I do have before we kind of get into some nugget stuff what advice would you give young Nuggets fans as they're like, cause we've talked about the, the scene is changing a little bit. And, and if people want to create, they want to be entrepreneurs, they want to be contractors at times where they don't necessarily want to be tied down to one thing or another. If you're looking at YouTube or you're looking at Twitter, or you're looking at any of these other social media platforms that you're trying to spread your content and spread your wings, what advice would you give to them about getting started? Yeah. One of the things that you have to realize is that your, your voice is, is, is very important and that what you have to say matters. I think sometimes we try to tailor ourselves to a specific audience and we try to tailor ourselves to what we think people might want to hear. But the thing that's unique about you is that you were given a skill set, you were given talent, you were given a voice that's unique that nobody else can copy. And there's value in that. And I think if you tell your story, but again, you when you're passionate about something and you tell people what you care about in a way that is meaningful, that's what people latch on to. People want to latch on to energy. People latch on to personality. People latch on to things that you care about. And so if you have a desire, you say, hey, I want to do something differently. I want to start something that's never been birthed before. I want to I want to give an opportunity to cover sports, but I don't know anyone that works in the sports industry. Well, YouTube is a platform for you to do that. You can start your own blog. You can start something on Twitter. I mean, I mean, Sasquatch, I mean, and we're, we're, there's a bunch of stuff that we can talk about. If you look on his uh, his Twitter, he's posting information, got a job as a data analyst or something like that recently. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what I'm saying, man. Like, there's so much space for you. I think that's one of the things, right? There is so much space for you, but you have to be willing to say, this is the space that I want to take up in the world. And there's ways not only to be heard, there's ways to monetize it. And there's ways to continue to get your voice out in multiple platform streams. So uh, that's what I would say. Just, just give it a shot. If, and especially now where we are, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So if you're working, go ahead and keep working, but find a way to dedicate yourself to a different kind of craft. And that way you can build something that's important to you that has lasting power as well. I love it, man. It's a, uh, it's a really big deal is to always be on the grind, but like be, stay true to yourself, just stay true to whatever voice you have and, and provide that same energy, no matter what you're doing. That's a, that's a really great message to share. Um, okay. Let's get into the nuggets, man. Let's, let's talk about some of these things that like for this four and four team, which is just endlessly interesting uh, that I don't think like we, we don't really know a lot of these answers because the, the Jamal Murray thing is, is it's hold it's, 
all over everybody's head, no matter what. And when you start to think about Michael Porter Jr. and the, the expectations that he had going into the year, man, it's just so much different than, than what has actually tra- taken place here. Uh, what is the first thing that you think of right now when I say Michael Porter Jr.? I see somebody who is scrambling to pick up the pieces from what he thinks his game has been over the last several years of his life. I see somebody that is trying to answer the call to be the second best player on a contending team. Uh, I see someone who is trying to find his shot, but I also see someone who is hearing Michael Malone tell him you need to find other ways to contribute. And he is committing to being a better defender. He's committing to being a better rebounder and he is making way less mental mistakes this year than he did the previous year and the year before that. I think because Michael Porter Jr. is shooting 20% from three, eight games into the season, everybody's like, oh my goodness. We have a historic three-point shooter who all of a sudden got a max contract and he's not hitting shots. And some people are speculating, hey, maybe Michael Porter Jr. doesn't care anymore. You know, maybe Michael Porter Jr. wasn't worth the contract. We never should have paid that man. But if you hear the stories that have come out of camp about Porter, you hear him talk about basketball, he cares about his game more than anybody else does. So what I see is somebody going through a valley right now when it comes to shooting the ball. But here's the thing. And Ryan, I would love to hear your thoughts on this because the only thing he did for two years, Ryan, was shoot the ball. And he shot it exceptionally well. Bad shots, good shots, in between it didn't matter. But he was hitting from a clip of 54% from the field and 43% from the three-point line. So even Michael Malone had to shake his head and clap as he went down the court of another made fadeaway three-point shot. (laughs) So here's the thing. He's not hitting his shots right now, but Ryan, you tell me, you're the expert. It looks like he's playing way better defense and rebounding at a clip that's much better than he did in the previous season, even if he's not hitting shots. He definitely has improved various aspects of his game that have gone under the radar because you, you see the thing, you see shooter can't shoot, and you're like, okay, uh, there's, there's something wrong here, and there is something wrong. I don't want to shy away from that, that like, look, this guy is going through the ringer. Like you said, he's going through a valley and I am very uh, concerned is what I will say about the way that he had not, not that he has approached it, but kind of how everything has sort of fallen into place for now. He's kind of taking the fourth most shots or the fifth most shots, or he's not really handling the basketball or he's not really staggering with the bench as the main guy. Like, it just feels like he has faded into the background in such a way where I don't want him to shy away from this. I want him to take this by storm be like, yeah, I'm struggling, but I am going to still work you. I am still going to go hard at your throat as the defense and, and approach it in that regard as, as just trying to work his way out of it from an aggressive standpoint and from taking charge. I don't know if he's taken charge of this, I feel like he's definitely trying to not mess up. And in, for, for a response to that, like he has, like he's made some good passes. He's played good defense. He has rebounded the basketball, like you said, up to about seven rebounds per game, which I think is pretty good. It's, it's, it's what you want to see from him. But there is more to his game than what he has shown. Uh, there's more as a scorer than what he has shown so far. And I think that he's shown, he's kind of moved away from all of that. Like the, the shot chart that he had for this last game, he took three spot up threes basically. And then he took six shots at the, or eight shots at the rim. Like, man, like there, there's just no in between game. I feel like he's lost all of the confidence of the world in his jumper. And that's not a great fun place to be when you are a jump shooter. Yeah. And you know what? And I think about Michael Porter Jr. And his, at his height, I think about what happened two years ago, even when he got his first start against the Sacramento Kings. He had that that step back against Rashawn Holmes to the left, three-point shot, and everybody was like, no, yes, you know, or going back to the playoff two years ago against Kyle Kuzma, step back, pump fake, Kyle Kuzma goes flying, three-point shot. LeBron James in transition, lets him go by, three-point shot. And I think that's Porter. As much as people complain about him, Ryan, that's who he is. That's the way that he flexes, as you could say, on the court. But I think the thing is, you are completely right. But here's the thing about Porter I feel like people get misconstrued. I don't think that Porter is just standing 
in the, on the side at the wing or in the corner on purpose just because he's like lazy or because he doesn't want to be involved. But you tell me another player of his caliber who's playing on a team this good for the last three seasons now where he's not been the main player on the court. You know, he doesn't get an opportunity to be a Brandon Ingram. He doesn't get an opportunity to be Zion. He doesn't get an opportunity to be De'Aaron Fox. He came into a system where Nikola Jokic was the clear number one peg. And you had a clear number two in Jamal Murray. And then you had a team with Will Barton, had a team with Paul Millsap, had a team with these people around him. I mean, even Michael Be- even Beasley and them were getting time over him. Like that's that's just how it was when he came into the game. So now I think that he is gun shy because he doesn't want to get in the way of his teammates. Because when I'm watching him on the court, it's not even as if he's he might be afraid of shooting the ball, but it seems like he's trying to stay out of Yoke's way. I'm trying to stay out of Barton's way. I'm trying to stay out of Morris' way, which again, max contract player, crazy talk. But see, this is the thing, right? I remember last year when he came back, I think he this might right right when he came back from COVID, he missed those 10 games, that Dallas Mavericks games. Remember when they were coming late on that shot clock and, and he ran by Will Barton to go get the ball and hit that moving three-point shot. And again, we haven't seen any of that this season because I think he's still trying to figure out what his role is within this offense because he's heard Michael Malone say, you need to work on all this other stuff, take good shots. He's seen Nikola Jokic. He is the MVP. Give him the ball. And he's seen Will Barton is the ball handler. Monte Morris is the ball handler. So what am I supposed to do? And I think that's a question he still haven't asked, unfortunately, three years into the game. It's true. It's definitely true. I I heard you commenting on this after the last Memphis game that it just seems like it seems like Denver's in a place right now where he's a spot up guy, where he's a Duncan Robinson, where he's a Davis Bertans. And like, you don't, you don't want to treat him like that. You don't, you don't want him to be only that he, like he, he had a really good possession in the first quarter of last game where he comes off of a pick and roll with yoke rises up for a shot, but then dishes off the pass to his left to an open Monte Morris, a wide open Monte Morris and Monte just pitched the shot. And, and sometimes that happens, but like, he needs to be in the place where the ball is in his hands. Like you mentioned Zion, you mentioned Ingram, you mentioned some of these other young guys that they got to work through their mistakes. They, they didn't get into a position where they had all these expectations on them immediately to be great. And for that reason, they got to work on the ball handling. They got to work on the reads. They got to work on the playmaking for others. And it's just like, he's behind the eight ball on that. He has made improvements, but not enough improvements that you should say, oh yeah, he should definitely be handling the ball over Morris and Barton right now, but he has to, but you, you still have to. Well, that's, that's to see, to, Ryan, and you are, you've heard me. I think Michael Malone is a top six coach in the NBA. I've already worked through this list before. He's proven it. He's one of the, when it comes to adjustments and situational adjustments and playoff situation, he's shown that he's one of the best, best at it. But the thing that I don't understand is they have told Michael Porter Jr. The way they have played him is learn how to work within the offense for three seasons. Now, the problem is there's never been like a 10 to 15 game stretch where they've said, all right, Michael, go fail as a ball handler over and over and over again until you get it. And here we are third year. And I'm just sitting here like, y'all, is he going, is he going to touch the rock? Like, let, let this is my thing. I, I want to put a bet out. I don't know. I don't know if DraftKings Sportsbook. I don't know if you could put put a bet out there. I want to know the over under on fifteen dribbles a game. How many games this year is he going to get that? Because you eventually you need to say, all right, Porter, do your best. Get to the top of the key. Run a pick and roll with Nikola Jokic. And again, the defense is going to have to make a decision: Do we peel and stay on Porter, or do we let Yoke go do his thing? Give him the opportunity to try it. And, Ryan, I'm not saying he got to play point guard, but if Aaron Gordon can bring the ball up three to four times a game, I feel like Porter could do it twice a game, and it shouldn't be that big of a deal. Problem that you run into is when he does bring it up, sometimes he just jacks a three, and, and that is, uh, that's definitely not going to go over well with the rest of the team. But I do agree that, like, you, you want to give him those opportunities where he can showcase – the playmaking and be a playmaker for others while also handling the basketball. And and that would be, that would be a really good thing for this Nuggets team long-term and not just in the short term where you can get them right. Um, But I do want to move on to a more positive topic and that's Will Barton. Like Will Barton has really stepped up. 
Like you, you talk about Jokic and you talk about the MVP of the league. Like, like that dude is, is on another level, but Denver needed a second best player. They needed somebody to step up and fill the gap for Michael Porter. And Barton has come to play. I uh, had a couple bad games here or there, but right now he's averaging 15 points, four rebounds, four assists, steal and a half, uh, 48% from the field, 36% from three. That's what you want from that dude because Started struggling from the at the rim, started struggling inside the arc sometimes last year, year before, didn't have that same lift. He told me a couple of weeks ago he's got that lift back. He he is explosive around the rim. What have you seen from Will Barton so far that, that you really like in filling in for Porter? Look, this is all I know. All y'all that was hating on Will Barton for all these years, go ahead and sign your apology cards and send them to Ryan in the mail. Because <laughs> the Denver Nuggets would be two and six without Will Barton. And that's not hyperbole. That's not conjecture, as Shannon Sharp would say. That's facts. Will Barton has by far been the second most valuable player for the Nuggets because he has a unique skill set, Brian, that only a few guards have. He is a scorer. He is a facilitator. He is a playmaker when you need him to be. He can play off ball and hit about 38% on those spot-up three-pointers. And on top of that, he can play defense. Now, he's not going to be Drew Holiday, but he can give you B-level defense in time when you need it because he's six foot five, long, quick twitch, and he is ready to compete every single possession. So Will Barton has shown that when you have the full roster together, the full gamut of Denver Nuggets together with Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic, having him as a fifth man, Ryan, if you think like this, Will Barton healthy, how valuable is he going to be when Jamal Murray comes back if he can keep his level of play up? Because I don't know if you remember this last year, even in that 10-game stretch when we were 8-2 and two with this superstar lineup that we had, he was coming out the first quarter getting anywhere from 8 to 10 points a game because the defense had to focus on him. Like, what are you going to do? Okay, I got to figure out a way. We got to do something about Yoke. We got to do something about MPJ. We got to do something about Murray. Even Will Barton as, or, or uh, Aaron Gordon as a slasher. So Will Barton was just cooking the worst defender. So if you have somebody like that who's putting constant pressure on the defense, which is what you want him to do, look, man, he's a very valuable asset. And to get him, again, at $16 million over two years, the level of production you're getting right now, you're getting $23 million a year player Will Barton right now at a very reduced rate. So I just hope, more than anything, Ryan, that Denver really appreciates what they're seeing and what they're getting from him right now. He's been awesome. He has, like you said, he saved the Nuggets. He's given them a, a, a guy that can really, like, he made that Utah game a coin flip. Like, it wasn't that close. It would not have been that close had he not taken over in that third quarter, man. And, like, he's he even against the Memphis Grizzlies a couple nights ago, or not a couple nights, uh, this last Memphis Grizzlies game, he, had, he created 19 points in the second quarter alone, brought them back. The Memphis Grizzlies scored 19 points in that quarter. Like, there, there are so many reasons to be high on Barton. At this point, he doesn't take the ball away from others. He's trying to share it. He's doing everything that he can to uh, lift the team up in the way that he knows how. And right now that's getting buckets right now. That is just being true to himself. And that has really, really helped this Nuggets team. I hope it can. I hope it continues, man. But he's playing a lot of minutes. Yeah. Right. Question for you. So do you feel like this version of Will Barton is the best we've ever had? Or do you remember that? January period of 2018, 2019, uh, when Raptor, uh, Raptor in 538, they had him listed as a top 10 player in the league. I don't know if you remember that time period. <laughs> Would you say that like what you're seeing out of Will Barton now is the best you've ever seen from a complete package standpoint? You know, I'm remembering to the exact period that you had there. It was 2019-20. He started out the year great. He was the only player that started out the year great, and yet Denver was still winning. Jokic was so bad, like at the beginning of that season, that Barton was the best guy. And Murray hadn't filled in the gap either. It was it was just incredible to watch what he could do. So it, was he better one time or the other? I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, but I do think that he's a better, more complete player now than he's ever been because he's added that defensive layer to it. He's not a great defender on the second unit. That's something that's a weird thing that's happened that when he's when he's with the starters, he looks really good. He's just defending his ass off when he's with the second unit. He looks really bad. I don't really mm -hmm. get it. 
but he has been so, so helpful for this team all the way around because you can live with a couple of mishaps here or there, but what you can't live with is poor effort. And he gives mm-hmm. great effort every single time he has lifted this team up emotionally. And it's, it's hard to say like, like he, he's the longest tenured nugget, man. Like nobody, mm-hmm. nobody really can Like they don't think about it that way. They think of Jokic as the guy Barton's been here every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and to your point, Right, I almost want to say that Barton needs to be playing less minutes than Yoke early in the season. And the reason is, is because we've had this before where he's played at this high level. But those core injuries, groins, they they have they have taken Will Barton out of this kind of mode before. And to your point, playing 40 minutes last night, I, I do wonder when Michael Malone maybe looks at that and says, you know what? This might be an opportunity where we have to get Bones more involved, have to get Faku more involved, have to get Austin Rivers or even Marcus Morris a little bit more involved. Let him sit out a game. Let him really reduce his minutes. Because I honestly don't want Will Barton playing more than 30 to 31 minutes a game right now just because we need him like this come playoff time. And I don't know if it's his, he has to body like Jokic does to stand up and do that throughout the season. And even really to his credit, Michael Porter Jr. shown that he has the capability to do that. Yeah, I'm I'm concerned, man. Like he he has built up his body a little bit. Uh he's up to 190, I'm pretty sure, but even 190, like you you want to be up over 200, 210 and he's always been kind of a stick figure for his entire career, but he's he's getting stronger. He's been dealing with that and he has put himself in a position where he could get through the season. But if he has to get through the season operating as the second best player on the team, that is going to be really tough because he's going to get the best mm-hmm. perimeter defender every night too. And that's, it's just something that if I were him, I'd be concerned because you need everybody playing at their best. And and whether mm-hmm. he's playing, like I, w- I want to see him play at his best when he comes to playoff time, because he deserves it. Like the way that he has given his heart and soul to this team, he deserves his moment and he hasn't had it yet. Well, that, that's the crazy thing, Ryan. Like when I hear people sometimes talk about Will Barton or he's selfish or he's this and that, or we need him. I'm like, but number one, I've never heard a coach nor a player ever criticize Will Barton for being selfish or not doing what he's supposed to do. But once again, when the Denver Nuggets needed somebody to step up in those 2019 playoff, when Yoko averaged 25, 13 and eight in the Portland game, he had 22 points in that Portland game and helped win that game for them and really helped turn the series around. So like Barton has had these moments, but it's for some reason, for whatever reason, it's his play style. It's the shots that he takes from, you know, every two quarters or so like that really fixed out the people. I really don't understand the, the hate that he gets. Cause I've never seen any, coach or player have anything bad to say about him 100 man um okay hey let's take a break when we come back we're gonna play a fun game and i hope everybody is very ready for this i asked for hot takes and and you're gonna get some we will be right back back pickaxe and roll ryan blackburn here thank you so much for tuning in joined by my friend swipe a cam follow his youtube channel follow him on twitter swipe a cam just go go look it up you'll you'll find every everywhere you everywhere you look it up you'll find it um let us get into this game that i i i i crafted it i made it myself i'm just so uh creative and fun and everything and like i'm just kidding uh but we uh we're, we're gonna we're gonna go through some hot takes man and and i uh one of the things that you and I both deal with uh, being creators, being kind of media personalities, is we get a lot of people talking. We get a lot of people sharing their, their thoughts, sharing their comments. And some of those takes are just a little wild, just a little bit out there. So what we're going to do is we're going to rate these takes on a couple different scales. It's is a factor, is a crap. And then we're going to rate it on a scale out of five peppers on how hot it is. And then we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what these people want to have to say. I've got a a whole list of them. I've got about 14, 15 of them right here. And we're going to take the next couple segments and we're going to go over some of these because I think that Nuggets fans, they can be pretty wild at times, but, but they've got some, they can, they can spit some fire sometimes too. So let's get into it. Are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. You mentioned Bronco Squatch earlier. I've got one from him. Uh, Bronco Squatch. He says, 
the Nuggets should buy low on Marvin Bagley when they can trade their recently signed guys. Uh, Marvin Bagley has has fallen out of the rotation in Sacramento. Uh, first of all, let's let's rate this on the spice scale. Is this a, out of five peppers? Is this a one pepper take or is this a five pepper take or somewhere in between? Uh, two pepper take. Uh, I don't okay. think this is outside the realm of possibility. Uh, the Sacramento Kings have continued to show not only do they not develop or draft well, um, but they also don't know how to handle assets like that. You know, for to have the number two overall pick not getting any time in the rotation at all. So I wouldn't mind this. Uh, honestly, we need that kind of athleticism uh, in the front court to assist Yoke um, because Marvin Bagley also has the body type to play with Yoke in certain conditions and stuff as well. So I could see that ha- happening if they were able to do it. What do you think? Fact or crap? Fact. Let's go. Let's go. That's that's what you like to see. Uh, it, we'll see. We will see. I think this this isn't really a spicy take because, like you said, Marvin Bagley been been on the outs in Sacramento, and they are not necessarily a team that that has really flourished in developing their own talent. So, I think that they they might need a change of scenery with him. And Marvin Bagley seems like a guy. He's a six foot nine, six foot ten roller who can just operate in the pick and rolls. Very talented very skilled, uh, has a three-point shot as well, but just hasn't really found it in Sacramento. Now, what I will say is his defense, really bad, really, really bad. So that that would be – I'd be a little bit concerned about that. So I'm going to call it crap, but I don't think it's a, it's a wild take by any stretch of the word. Yeah, well, uh, I think that if – he has bad defense, then that would fit right in with where the bench is right now. <laughs> that is true. That is so true. Uh, speaking of which, Nugs, 20, uh, Nugs 2022 NBA champs uh, on Twitter. Uh, shout out to you, man. You're definitely uh, – you've got the right idea. Uh, he says that Zeke Naji should be getting 8 to 12 minutes per game every single game. Uh, spice scale. Yeah, I'm going to say that is a four-pepper – um, and that's probably crap. Mm. The The problem is, is that Zeke at no point in time, this whole season from summer league to now has looked good. He just doesn't seem mentally that he's locked in. I don't know if it's uh, the circumstances. I'm not sure if it's just not having played in the basketball at the professional level yet. He, he just, he, he hasn't looked as tuned in, even as he did last year at points. So uh, right. I'm, I'm, I don't know if that's a solution. Like, does he give you what, better than what Jermichael Green is giving you right now or, or Jeff Green? Like, I don't know. So, and again, he hasn't shown it. So I, I have to go with crap on that one for now. I'm going to go the opposite of you. I think that it's a, I think that this is like a one to two pepper take and that it's facts because this Nuggets group with Jeff Green and Jermichael Green has been awful offensively. And the main reason why they're awful is because they've designed an offense that's centered around pick and pop bigs that can't pop, that don't have any jump shot right now whatsoever. Those guys have not been able to shoot. They have not been able to put the ball in the basket. It has ruined Faku Campazo completely. And, like, would Faku be better in a different situation? Probably so. Is he somebody that you tailor your entire bench around? Probably not. But still, like, you signed Jermichael Green. You signed Jeff Green. You want these guys to be playing well. And they just haven't so far. I mean, like here, here are the, the shooting numbers on Jeff Green and Jamichael Green so far. Jeff Green, 17% from three. Jamichael Green, 20% from three. You can boil it down right there that if those guys like combine to hit another three a game, then you might be going somewhere. But so far, they just haven't. Yeah, and what's just so strange, did Jermichael Green shot 41%, and he was in the middle of the year, he was up around 47% uh, for a good bit. And so I'm not sure what happened. Uh, did we find out that all in long while that Isaiah Hartenstein was the MVP of the Denver Nuggets? I'm not sure if that was the case <laughs> or not, but I don't know what happened to Green's shot. Uh, he even in the playoffs, he, he shot decent. Uh, and again, Jeff Green, this is the same person that in the Eastern Conference Finals made what eight three-pointers when it was him and Kevin Durant taking down the Milwaukee Bucks so once again I for whatever reason that second unit then well the Nuggets haven't been able to hit three-pointers and the second unit has been dreadful when it comes to shooting Uh, but maybe that has to do with spacing maybe that has to do with having no real perimeter threat uh, unless Bones Highland is out there which I guess we'll we'll probably talk about in a little bit but yeah oh yeah yeah (laughs) 
but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that they should give Zeke Naji a try. Like if you're if you're gonna shoot this badly uh, for both of the greens and and not to mention Jamichael Green, it looked like he rolled his ankle in that uh, Memphis game too. So I think that Zeke Naji should be at least getting a shot here. He's 2020 first round pick for this Nuggets team. Like you want to give him an opportunity. You you invested some some financial resources in him. You want to definitely give him a shot. But, but here's my thing, right? This is why I don't understand. Last year, instead of getting RJ Hampton and Zeke Naji, if you needed a, if you weren't going to play Zeke, what's the point? But then the other part of that too is like you could have moved up and got Sadiq Bay, who was just a couple spots earlier if you wanted to actually go after a guy that could be in your rotation to be a wing player. So that's the thing. Like it's just, I know it's a part of young young players proving it, but. Again, when is that opportunity going to come for them to get a chance to try and fail? But anyway, that's a, that's a whole other thing. Most depressing part of that draft, Sadiq Bey goes 19th. Tyrese Maxey goes 21st. Denver has the 22nd pick. They trade for the 24th pick. They get Zeke Naji, RJ Hampton. RJ Hampton gets traded for a uh, for Aaron Gordon in Orlando. So it is what it is there. But And then Desmond, Desmond Bain goes 30th. Xavier Tillman goes 40th. <laughs> Just Draft missing out on shooters. Yeah, we could have had a 40-point, three-point shooter by now. Man, Desmond Bain would have been so good. I really wanted him. Uh, is what it is, though. Allen on, on Twitter, he says, Bones should start. Monte to the bench. Faku out of the rotation. Spice scale. This is a one, two, three, four, five. Five pepper five spice scale with an absolute <laughs> facts. Hand to the face from me. Let me tell you why. It ain't got nothing to do with Monte Morris not being a good player. But Monte Morris probably, like he said last year, needs to be relegated to the bench to run the second unit. Again, this ain't for me. Monte said this about himself last year. That's why Facuno Composal started in the first place. But because Monte says that I need to be there to make sure that second unit is up to par. And right now, that second unit stinks. So maybe a way to fix this is say, hey, you know what? They need a penetrator. They need a playmaker. They need a floor spacer. Let Monte Morris go get it done with the bench. And maybe you give Bones Highland an opportunity because guess what? Every time Bones Highland's on the court with Yoke, it looks great. Every time Bones Highland on the court with MPJ and Aaron Gordon, it looks amazing. So think about having a six foot three, six nine wingspan point guard who has looked decent on defense. He's not been getting roasted. Now, Ja Morant went at him for two out of three buckets to end the game, but it's Ja Morant. Who isn't he busting? Like, that's what I don't understand. So I would absolutely sign up for that. The, 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 the idea that Michael Malone would do that, unless Monte Moore came to him himself, I, I don't think it happened. But I would love that. It's crazy. I think if you, uh, if you ask Michael Malone what he would do instead, he'd probably start Faku and then bench Monte and play him with Bones. And that's probably like a, a decent option as well. Like if you're looking to help out the bench unit, I wouldn't do that. I want to keep the starting unit intact. I think that they like, I think that you, you focus on the starters, you focus on getting them to a good place and you've got Monte in there. He hasn't played perfectly to start the year, but he's been fine. There's no, there's nothing wrong with what he's done in the starting unit. And, and you still need somebody at the end of the game that if Barton isn't doing well, as a ball handle, you need somebody else who can run, pick and roll with yoke. And that should be Michael Porter Jr. At some point, but until it is, then we, we still got to figure that out. And Monte is there for a reason that he's been pretty good defensively too. Do you, just, just clarification, Ryan, is this the point where we talk about Faku or they're, they're a hot take, a hot take portion <laughs> coming up. Let's see. Let's see. There's a, there's, there's probably some, uh, Let's we'll, we'll do that in the third segment. How about okay, that? We, we, right. got, we got to talk yeah, about that. I, I, I know the, the Argentinians have been coming for your neck like they've been coming for mine. So I, I know this is going to be an exciting one. Uh, I am going to go four out of five on the spice scale on that take, Alan. And I think that it's, I well, man, I can't say that it's crap because I think it would work. I think I, I really like Bones. I think that he could definitely do it. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say it's crap though. Like I, it's just not going to happen. This isn't going to, this isn't going to bear out, but yeah, it could like, like we'll, we'll just have to see, like if they continue to struggle, they're going to, they're going to have to go to some radical changes pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, do you think that bones is he is this in terms of his development as a, his basketball IQ thus far, 
are you surprised with with where he is in terms of positivity or does he seem to be about where you thought he would be? Oh, I'm surprised. Like, I think that's his ability to run the pick and roll is somewhere like I did not expect that. I did not expect that from him uh, at such a young age. Nobody does that. Nobody comes into the league and runs the pick and roll with the ease that he has. It's been crazy. Yeah, and and really, it, remember, it took Jamal Murray a couple of years to learn how to do the pick and roll. Yeah. So for him to have that kind of, and again, it's so funny. So, you know, when you watch Jokic, Jokic has, he automatically knows that when he sees Barton, hey, come get the handoff. When he sees Morris, come get the handoff. The other day in the Memphis Grizzly game, he saw Bones, he said, come get the handoff. And I was like, oh my gosh, is that a sign off from the MVP that Bones knows what he's doing? So I love it. I, I can't wait to see more of him. It's funny, like that that reminds me of Tory Craig, where Jokic turns to the DHO, sees Tory Craig on the side, and then it's like, nah, I'm gonna turn turn the other way. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> uh Jordan Scott actually, he he brings a hot take with us and says Bones is the best rookie in the league. Spice scale. Yeah, so that's definitely a five pepper. Uh I think the sample size isn't large enough, but if you look at the data, I know TPA is a skewed metric, but he is the best rookie this season on a point-by-point and play-by-play basis. So he's been a net positive every time he stepped on the court since preseason. He's been a net positive in every moment, including in the clutch moment as well. So he's very good, but I have to tell you that that super freak, in Toronto, Canada, named Scotty Barnes mm. is 1,000% mm. the best rookie to touch the court. Evan Mobley has an, has an argument, too, but Scotty Barnes has been exceptional. I love Scotty Barnes. I think that he, like, out of the draft, I, I couldn't really figure out why he wasn't in that top tier of stars where they had the four guys listed with Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, and Evan Mobley. And they've got this guy in Scotty Barnes who, yeah, he didn't shoot well, but he just, just built like a basketball player, handles the ball, was a little bit sandbagged at Florida State, where they 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 were running, they were letting him run some point guard, but not all the point guard. Had he been doing that at Oklahoma State, like Cade Cunningham, oh man, he would have been, he would have looked special there too. So um, I I think this is a this is a five pepper take. It's crap. Bones, I love you. I love you, Bones. You have been awesome. Uh, there are going to be better basketball players at the top of this class, but Bones has a real case for all in, all, all rookie right now. And uh, like he, he absolutely deserves to be in that conversation if he could stay on the floor. Yeah, again, you know, this is somebody I think as his minutes go up and it increase over the season, I think he has a chance to make that second team all rookie. Um, I really do. I don't think he's going to make it in front of Cade. Obviously, those are point guards. Um, you know, Jalen Suggs doesn't look too hot right now. Like I said, Bones is in that top just on a, on a you know, he's up there with Josh Giddy. You know, he might not be there from a production standpoint, but he's up there in terms of overall effectiveness. 100%. Um Diakota asks, or not to ask, he, he says, he tells us, this is his take. If the Nuggets bench doesn't improve, it could ruin them in the playoffs. What's your spice scale at? Uh, uh, half a pepper. Um, that's, <laughs> that's, that's absolutely facts. I mean, we saw what happened last year. We had two bench players starting in the starting lineup, and they got 4 would by the Phoenix Suns. So once again, you know, at some point, you have to develop some kind of trait. Again, the last couple of years, the bench hasn't been an offensive juggernaut, but it was a defensive juggernaut, which is why when people would reference Nikola Jokic, they said, oh, but the the team is better with him on the bench defensively. I'm like, well, yeah, that's because their bench is all defense and no offense. So that's all they did. So they're going to have to develop an identity. What you can't do is Jokic has you up six points, goes out at the end of the third quarter, he comes back in down eight, goes out in the end of the first quarter up two, come back in down 12. That can't be a, something that's happened consistently and it can't happen any much longer. So absolutely, they will ruin the season if they don't pick it up. So I'm actually going to say that this is crap. And here's why. Jamal Murray hasn't played a dime yet. Like he hasn't played a minute. And we've got Monte Morris starting games right now. Bones Highland is just getting into the rotation. PJ Dozier has been bad but like in a better context, in a more healthy bench context, he's going to play better too. And like, like Michael Porter's not going to shoot 20% from three either. So Denver has all of these guys where they can rotate them in, give the, give the bench a little bit of a boost. 
And you're never going to play a 10 man rotation in this, in the playoffs. You're never going to get to that position where some of these guys just aren't going to see the floor. Like, like we, we may look back and think, Oh man, really we're stressing about Vaca Compasso in the playoff rotation, but like, it's just not gonna, like, I just don't see that happening if everybody that's gets very, back into a good place. That's very suggestive language right there that you're suggesting Facuna Compado is not going to be in the playoff rotation run. I, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> probably not going to happen. <laughs> uh, I, I, Argentina, I love you. Don't come for my head. Like, I, I've, I've avoided, I've avoided, uh, no, we'll, we'll save that for the third segment. I've got yeah, a question. Yeah. I've got a take yeah, on the third segment. Go ahead. Um, Two more before we hit another break. Paul Clark says the biggest reason Jamichael is struggling is because he's being forced to play center instead of forward slash wing. Spice scale. Yeah, I'm going to say crap, and I'm going to say spice scale. Uh, that's a, you know, that's a one or a two, but it's not because you're wrong necessarily. I just think that it's a mental thing with him right now. But I also think too, the spacing sucks with that second unit so he is shooting contested threes on almost a majority of the threes he's taking if you watch over the last several games because when Facuno Campazzo started off the season when he was driving to the basket he would kick out and there'd be a wide open Jermichael Green well right now what's happening is they're like okay PJ Dozier is not hitting him let me slag off you know Jeff Green's not hitting him let me slag off Facu's definitely not going to hit him so let me slag off so I, I just think that the opportunity that he's been presented has really minimized his effectiveness as a shooter. Uh, so that's where I would take that as of right now. Yeah, this is a, this is a one pepper take because it, it, it is a possibility that this is like, this is a very realistic thing for people, but it doesn't affect the shooting. It doesn't affect the, like the defense. And I actually think he's been a pretty decent defender. He's been a better defender than Jeff Green so far, but uh, I, I think that it's crap because the the shooting is just it's going to come around. These guys are these guys are veterans. They have been in this league for a long time. It's just about finding the right context and once you get there, once you start creating more easy shots, those guys will hit the hit, they'll hit the easy shots. Like that's just how it's going to work. That's how it's always worked, man. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, I think he's going to pick it up. He's been a, a good shooter. Uh, he's shooting over 38% I think the last 3 seasons, so I think he picks it back up. You know, I'm going to skip this last hot take because it is literally about the greens will start making threes very, very soon. Uh, but uh, Chris, we love you. I uh, appreciate you for, for sending in the hot take. Uh, what about Jeff Green, actually? Let's just talk about him real quick because he is uh, at 17%, like I said before. And he just does not – like he kind of looks lost with this Nuggets group. Like I, I, he doesn't really know what his role actually is. And is yeah. that something that's going to straighten out? Yeah, I think it will. But I think, again, it goes back to what you just said. No one knows what their role is. They, Again, think about this. Uh, Faku Campazzo was passing up Michael Porter Jr. and Will Barton the other day to do a uh, to set up Jeff Green on a low post ISO. Mm. I don't know if that's uh, an efficient, effective shot for, uh, for a set. So I think Jeff Green needs to be relegated to hitting those rollers and like rollers to the basket not a rim runner like a lob threat but a roller to the basket that goes with force to the bucket uh, a transition player which he's been very good at so far this year he needs to be out on the wing hitting spot three pointers i just think right now he's trying to figure out what he's supposed to do with this unit which is why the whole unit is bad it's just they just don't know okay what are you doing and how do i fit into that and so i think right now Again, he's a veteran, but even him is just taking him time to adjust with this new scene, with this new setting, and with these players that are around him. It's crazy. So far this season, the bench just has – they haven't had a good game yet. They haven't had a really a good stint yet where, where they've they've all performed well. They've all kind of figured it out. They know what they're doing. Uh, it's more than just pick, some, pick and pops with Jamichael Green and Jeff Green. It's, it's about creating good shots. It's about creating great shots. And on top of the defense that they, they sometimes play – um, I'm a little bit more concerned with him defensively because it just doesn't seem like he's, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to question the guy's effort because he, he kind of has that body type, that face where it, it doesn't always look like he's at, like he's trying and trying to get into guys and be just that physical presence. But he, he let Jaron Jackson Jr. go off yesterday. Like Jaron Jackson got hot because, uh, because Jeff Green gave him open shots. And when you 
let guys do that. That's, that's not a veteran move. Like veterans step up and they, they cut players off. They make sure they don't get the easy shots. They, they force them to drive. They force them to put the ball on the deck and Jaron Jackson, if he's hitting multiple shots a game, like you just don't just sit there and watch him. That's kind of what he was doing. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that. I'd at least, uh, at least be watching about that Nuggets fans. If that, if that continues to happen. Yeah, I see. That's the thing. I don't, and I said this. I don't know if Jeff Green's responsibility is guarding bigs. Uh, I look back on his net state. That's not really what he did either. Like he did when he needed to, but they weren't a great defensive team. So I don't know if that's his role. I see him more guarding like Chris Middleton's than I do see him guarding some like Jaron Jackson. Uh, but the reason being is he's not a large man. Jaron Jackson is a very long and large athlete. So the reason he was just getting buckets over him. But again, you're right. Like. He got hit on a on a cutback by by Stephen Adams yesterday, and I'm just like, Stephen Adams, what? Are you, I mean, why are you even looking at him? He, he's not he's not going to shoot a jumper. Is that a floater? He's Dime, like diming people up, Stephen Adams. That was crazy. <laughs> I, was, I was like, what is this? Oh man, Jokic changed the game for centers, but yeah, I think he's going to figure it out. I just think that I, it's almost like when sometimes you just you get you get overwhelmed and bombarded with with trying to figure out like so many things at once. And I just think it's, it's just mentally, it's just, it's taking something from him. Uh, but I think everyone, they're all getting roasted on defense. So that's the thing. Like you can't even really point out Jeff Green because I can say just as easily that Pacuno Compadre is missing rotations or PJ Dozier even letting people get by him. You know, it's just not working. And that is actually going to do it for part one of this episode that I had with Cam. I really appreciate him coming on. We talked for another 40 minutes beyond this, so I'm going to split this into two parts. Make sure to catch the second part when it drops tomorrow. On the platform, we had a really great conversation, talked a lot about Michael Porter Jr., talked a lot about Nikola Jokic, talked a lot about Bones Highland. Really good stuff on that. And I really appreciate everybody for tuning in. So thank you so much. We'll talk to you guys very soon.